After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When Freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Who was Eleanor Roosevelt? She was the niece of Theodore Roosevelt. Teddy. The wife of Franklin D. Roosevelt, so much Roosevelt in her blood. She was a goddamn super Roosevelt. She revolutionized the role of first lady in American politics. She didn't just plan parties for other women of privilege. She gave press conferences with the public and wrote an internationally distributed newspaper column. After her husband's death, she served at the United Nations, focusing on human rights and women's issues. She stood up for the oppressed in an age when most uh, did not. She spoke her mind during a time when most women could not. She was a light in the darkness, a beacon in the storm, a cool glass of sanity and reason in a desert of ignorance and oppression. And today, she's getting fucking sucked right here on Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Cold to the Curious. I'm Dan Cummins, a.k.a. the Prophet of Nimrod, the Suck Master, the Sultan of Suck, the Tamer of Bojangles, and this beautiful... And talented friends, this is Time Suck. Huge thanks to Madison, Wisconsin Time Suckers who came out this past week. To three sold-out shows in Madison and two others that were damn close. Thanks to Joey for being one of the best club managers in the game. Uh, all the shows were fun, but uh, over half of the Saturday first show crowd, man, clearly were Time Suckers. And that show was electric. One of my favorite shows in recent memory. Uh, more of that, please, you guys. Gotta love it when you guys come out, man. Wearing the t-shirts pumps me up. Hearing the Hail Nimrods when I hit stage. Oh, my God. It's so funny. So ridiculous. So fun. Uh, gives me, uh, you know, gets me pumping more energy into the suck. I got I got two, two hours of sleep Saturday night, and I didn't give a fuck because I got this episode ready. Right? You make the sacrifice worth it. Uh, I really like how the new material is coming together uh, for the stand-up show. Very Time Suck-esque. Uh, thanks for letting me try it out with you guys. Closing out the year. Uh, this year at the Comedy Works in Denver, Colorado, December 28th through New Year's Eve next week. Hope to see you there. Uh, I've heard that club is a blast. Indianapolis, come on, Indy. Uh, be good to me again. Morty's Comedy Joint, January 5th and 6th. Get those tickets now, Indy suckers. Providence, Rhode Island, the Comedy Connection, January 19th and 20th. Chicopee, Massachusetts, Cabot Comedy Club, January 21st. Philadelphia, Philly. I'm going to be at the Punchline, January 25th through the 27th. Uh, that club, I've heard it's uh, very, very good. I love the Punchline in San Francisco. I hear this place is uh, equally fun. Chicago. One of my favorite clubs in the nation, Zanies and Rosemont, January 31st through February 3rd. Uh, New York City, Gotham Comedy Club. Man, I haven't been there for years. I taped an uh, episode of Live at Gotham many years ago. My first Comedy Central taping was at that club. Uh, I, ho- I hope this night is just as magical on February 11th. Uh, two live podcasts now in the books for 2018. Small Town Murder Swap, ca- swap Cast in Detroit. There we go. Now I can talk. February 16th, uh, 2018. Magic Bag. Uh, yeah, live Swapcast podcast uh, <laughs> tickets are on sale. Two shows now in one night. Stand up at 7, Swapcast at 10, Sisyphus Brewing. Come on, you guys, get your tickets on sale. Minneapolis, March 3rd, 
Only $10 tickets for Lifetime Suck Podcast. Um, and then stand-up shows on March 2nd and 3rd. And if you follow me on Instagram, at uh, Time Suck Podcast, man, when, the, when those tickets go on sale, like, I'll try and post everything there first. Sorry, I, I, a lot of these things I just don't have any control over. You know, you bug them, and you cross your fingers, and you wait. Uh, check the tour date section on the website, other DanCummins.tv, TimeSuckPodcast.com. For more info on all this, ticket links in the episode description for all the shows I mentioned that have ticket links available. More announcements about merch, the app, uh, other stuff at the end of the show. Right now, let's get into Time Sucks. Time Suck 66, Eleanor motherfucking Roosevelt. Eleanor Roosevelt is adored by a large number, uh, if not most, feminists. I took a Feminism 101 course years ago, and I'm pretty sure Eleanor was covered. And, and I'd say Eleanor Roosevelt is one of the greatest feminists of all time, but that's doing her a disservice. Uh, she's one of the great humanists of all time. And uh, maybe there's a technical definition of, of humanist that is not what I am talking about right now. But I just mean someone for all humans. You know, I feel like real feminism is not advancing uh, women's rights at the expense of men. It's advancing women's rights to be equal to that of men. And often, and certainly in the case of Eleanor, uh, it is about bringing the rights of women equal to the rights of men and then pushing to bring the rights of everyone into balance. Everyone, all uh, sexual orientations and colors and, you know, socioeconomic classes, bringing the rights of the have-nots in alignment with the haves. And it's what Eleanor fought for her entire adult life. And let's take a nice, long look at that life with the Time Suck Timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. October 11th, 1884. Anna Eleanor motherfucking Roosevelt. Born in Manhattan, New York. She was the first child born to Elliot Bullock Roosevelt, brother of Time Suck 53, Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. That's how she got that extra middle name of hers uh, from Teddy. The one that I made up for both of them. Uh, and her, her mom was Anna Rebecca Hall, wealthy socialite. Eleanor was born into money and privilege, her family being part of the wealthy East Coast elite, that platinum privilege class the rest of the country began to refer to as the swells. I love it. The swells. Just, life sure would be grand if I will swell. I could be the big cheese, a real live wire, the real McCoy, yes, please. I could be the cat's pajamas, and I could live so well. If only I could be a swell, chase the gals with the grandest gams. Only time will tell if I will be a swell. <laughs> there actually was a real song, a song with a melody that's not painful and torturous to listen to. Uh, it stays in key. <laughs> Follows basic musical theory components. Uh, that was later made about the swells. Little Diddy sang by Judy Garland and Fred Astaire. We're a couple of swells. We stop at the best hotels. But we prefer the country far away from the city smells. <laughs> oh, I don't know why that really cracks me up. It's a silly little musical. Little Diddy. Little old Diddy. Little Diddy Dandy. Um, okay, so her mom was a uh, Manhattan socialite. Yeah, one of the swells. Noted for her physical beauty and vanity. A woman born into multi-generational wealth. Um, a woman, you know, uh, old money. And apparently she was also an asshole. More on that in a bit. Uh, her, her father was also part of a wealthy uh, family, very wealthy family. Uh, Eleanor came from the same line of Roosevelt's as Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, he was one of the Oyster Bay Roosevelt's. Right, uh, that side's rise to wealth uh, via via banking, namely the Chemical Bank, now known as Chase J.P. Morgan, 
And Chemical Bank was a bank with a headquarters in New York City from 1824 till 1996. And at the uh, end of 1995, Chemical was the third largest bank in the United States with about $182.9 billion in assets. That's a lot. That's quite a bit of assets. Uh, more than 39,000 employees around the world for more than that old kind of Teddy Roosevelt money. Uh, List in time suck 53. Aside from being rich, uh, Elliot also a raging alcoholic. Uh, more on that in a bit as well. And like his wife, he was known for uh, being quite the looker. Handsome man from a wealthy family. What a catch. What a swell dandy. What a swell swell. Not really. Uh, dude comes across like a pathetic, emotionally unstable, lazy deadbeat. However, Eleanor adored her father. And when he was around and when he was sober, he seemed like a good dad who reciprocated that love. Uh, unfortunately, he just wasn't around and he wasn't sober very often. He was known to be charismatic, made his presence felt when he walked into a room. Didn't seem to ever hold a real job or need one. Yeah, you can probably be a little more charismatic when you never have to worry about uh, getting up for work. Uh, Eleanor, when asked what her father did, would describe him as a sportsman. Not a professional athlete, a sportsman. That, that's a rich guy uh, title. Guy who has, you know, a lot of time for, for big game hunts, and for tennis, for polo club matches, you know, because, again, he never has to work. Uh, Elliot's father had left him a lot of money when he died, and he was able to afford doing stuff like, you know, traveling to and climbing the Himalayas, bouncing around Asia for a while, then coming back and regaling other socialites with his tales of adventure. Uh, he played lots of polo with the Meadowbrook Club on Long Island. Finally, he got a job working for New York's leading real estate establishment, the Ludlow Firm, where he wasn't terribly successful because uh, he didn't earn anything. Family connections, you know, basically just gave him a new, new place to drink, chat with other rich people. Instead of a bar or a polo club, it happened to be called an office now. He didn't stay there long. Took a job later at his uncle's investment firm. Didn't show up much around that, uh, that place. Traveled extensively through Europe. <laughs> After he got the job, drank a lot more. Ellie was essentially like that movie character of just a rich aristocrat that no one has any real respect for. Uh, his brother Teddy is out there using his family connections and wealth for good, and he's wasting his life on booze and decadent travel, which is what Lucifina tells me I should do if I ever fall into money. She says I should get drunk on beaches, eat the finest meals, and never give back to society. Hail Lucifina! I, I mean, uh, be gone, Lucifina. Don't do that, ever. That sounds terrible. Hail, uh, hail Nimrod. Uh, Eleanor preferred to be called by her middle name, probably because her uh, mom's name was Anna, and she wasn't a huge mom fan. Uh, she probably wasn't a huge mom fan because her mom called her Granny. Mom called her Granny. That was her nickname for her daughter as a young child, and it wasn't like a cute nickname like, uh, you know, I love, I know you love your grandma, you hang out with her so much, so we're going to call you Granny. <laughs> no, she called her Granny because she felt like she looked like an old woman. Like, like she looked, she looked plain looking and just wasn't pretty. What a fucking asshole. I cannot imagine teasing one of my kids about their physical appearance, about their looks, you know? And I could have easily been doing that for years because both my kids, like both Kyler and Monroe, very unattractive, like very ugly, seriously ugly, painful to look at, really. I mean, but you know what? I don't go around calling them trolls and goblins, even though they look more like those creatures than actual human beings because that's not cool, you guys. All right. I never make fun of their horrible, horrible looks, not even at dinner, when I have to continually gaze up and you know, look away or stare through them instead of fixating on their nasty, ugly monster faces in order to keep from losing my appetite. It makes my skin crawl just to think about the way my kids look. You know, but I don't say anything to them. You know, seriously though. Uh, based on this alone, I'm just gonna say that yeah, Anna's not a good mom, not a good person in general. And 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 by the way, my kids are handsome and beautiful. My daughter is uh, very handsome and my son is very beautiful. And now both are going to punch me uh, when they hear this episode. As a result of mom's cruel teasing, Eleanor was rather shy growing up. Yeah, of course she was. Uh, her mom's cruelty influenced her personality, giving her more empathy for the world than she would have likely otherwise had. You know, since mom made it clear that relying on her looks in life was just not an option, uh, she learned she could earn love and affection by doing things for others, by being useful. 
This strong aspect of her personality stayed with her until the end of her life. Now, funny how if mom would have just thought she was beautiful, she probably never would have grown up into the amazing, empathetic, civic-minded person that we know her as. You know, her life would have just been a, it wouldn't have been nearly as memorable or, or impactful had she been born with a, a slightly different look. Looks certainly are not everything. The beautiful people are not always necessarily the best people to be. I love that angle on today's tale. 1889, when Eleanor is not quite five, the wonderful Roosevelt parents welcomed a second child into the world to mock and neglect, Elliot Jr., who would lead a short, tragic life. Uh, at 1891, when Eleanor is six, a second brother is born, Gracie Hall Roosevelt. You heard that right. Uh, they had a boy, and they named him Gracie because they were assholes. Uh, why not just name him Linda or Michelle? Uh, Gracie would go by Hall because apparently he did not enjoy the taunts and fists of schoolyard bullies. Hall would go on to have a minor career in politics and sadly share his father's alcoholism. I didn't have any stats to back this up, uh, but I, I feel like your chance of becoming an alcoholic increases when you're a boy and your parents name you Gracie. 1891, big year for the Roosevelts. They also uh, welcomed their third son into the world. Well, it, uh, at least Elliot did. It's awkward, awkward. Uh, he had been having an affair with Katie Mann, a family servant, and the affair resulted in a half-brother, Elliot Roosevelt Mann. And it was understandably uh, less than overjoyed about this. There was a payoff, and Katie went away. Well, due to Elliot's womanizing, in addition uh, to the baby with uh, one mistress, he also had a prolonged affair in Europe with another woman, Florence Bagley Sherman, an expatriate living in Paris with her two children, and probably, I'm guessing, numerous other little, you know, uh, you know, cavorts here and there, little little humping here, little humping there. Uh, due to this and due to his alcoholism and more and more frequent emotional outbursts, he was essentially banished from the family. Uh, they didn't divorce, didn't necessarily uh, even separate, really, but he begins to live separately. Uh, when the family returns uh, from a trip to Europe in 1891, Elliot does not join them. Theodore weighed in on all this. Gotta love me some Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. Man was a pistol, spoke his mind. Him and Eleanor clearly shared the same blood. Uh, he was beyond disappointed in his brother. He was disgusted. Hearing about his brother's womanizing and drunkenness, he called Elliot a maniac mentally as well as morally. Called him that publicly. <laughs> uh, he also referred to Elliot as a flagrant man swine. Uh, that's some old time swear in there. My brother is a flagrant man-swine. He's not fit to hold the title of Roosevelt. He's a flagrant man-swine. He's a, he's a swashbuckler. Well, I guess I'd be a pirate. But, yeah. 1892, not a good year for the Roosevelt. Swells, a uh, very unswell year for certain. Eleanor's mother, Anna, dies of diphtheria on December 7th, 1892. Diphtheria is a bacterial infection with symptoms that begin between two to five days after exposure, usually starting off mildly, sore throat and fever. It can develop to grow a, a gray or white patch in the throat that can block the airway, creating a barking cough. Uh, the neck swells due to enlarged lymph nodes. There's also a form that can involve the skin, eyes, and genitals. Oh, man, genital diphtheria. That sounds like the worst kind of diphtheria, right? When, you're, when your balls get a cough, when your balls get a sore throat. Uh, I'm sure that's not how it works. Complications can include uh, myco, uh, Myocard uh, myocarditis, Jesus Christ, inflammation of nerves, kidney problems, bleeding problems due to low levels of platelets, uh, myocarditis, myocarditis, motherfucker, I hate that word, may result in an abnormal heart rate, and inflammation of the nerves that may result in paralysis, so it's not fun, you know, it's usually spread through direct contact or through the air, it's a rough way to go out, diphtheria now extremely rare in the U.S. and other developed countries thanks to widespread vaccination against the disease. Uh, for those not vaccinated, medications are available now to treat diphtheria as well. However, in advanced stages, uh, diphtheria can, you know, uh, damage your heart, your kidneys, nervous system. Even with treatment, you know, diphtheria can be deadly. Up to 3% of people who get diphtheria die of it. So, you know, vaccinate your fucking kids already. 
Anti-vaccine, another future suck. One I will get some angry emails about for sure. Oh, I know from just regular life experience uh, talking about that with people. I've gotten in some serious arguments about that uh, with some former coworkers. Huge trigger, like huge trigger uh, for some people, as I found out, again, in my personal life. So Anna dies of a disease science can uh, now vaccinate against, and she dies without her husband at her side because he is a drunken, sloppy, spoiled mess of a human being. And the last words Anna ever spoke to uh, were to Eleanor, to her daughter, to, to Granny. Uh, she told her young daughter, only eight at the time, Please, if you ever want to be loved, you must figure out how to become beautiful, or at the very least have big tits, or at the very, very least pad your bras, and of course be very, very, very skinny. Don't eat, pad your bras, agree with what men say, and laugh at all their jokes, and always remember that ugly women die alone. And then Anna herself expired right after saying that. Of course she didn't say that. But I feel like she thought it. I feel like she may have thought it. Poor Eleanor, now left without a mom, uh, even if she was a shitty one, her dad is not around. Money and privilege, man, do not guarantee an easy childhood, do they? Reminds me of the JFK two-part suck. Well, six months later, her brother Elliot Jr. dies. Same thing, at the age of three, in 1893, when Eleanor is still only eight. Uh, Another rough year for Ellie. 1894, a shitstorm continues to blow through Ellie's life. Her father, already estranged, now dead. Confined to a sanitarium for treatment for alcoholism, he jumps from a window in August in a fit of delirium at the age of 34. He survives the initial fall but suffers a seizure and dies a few days later on August 14th. At the time of his death, his alcoholism had escalated such that he was consuming numerous bottles of champagne and brandy uh, each and every single day. Man, champagne every day. I know serious alcoholism is not funny, but there is something funny about drinking numerous bottles of champagne every day. Such a cartoonish rich guy cliche. Living every day like it's a New Year's Eve party. I just picture him, I picture him wearing a little party hat, you know, with confetti poppers, noisemakers, just break out in the cover bottles of champagne, everybody. Let's do a countdown. Five, four, three, one. Happy New Day. Congratulations, everyone. It's March 7th. Woo! He's a jolly fellow. He's a jolly fellow. He's a jolly fellow. Anyone denies. That scene I just uh, made up. I want you to know that Elliot was completely alone. He was singing that song by himself in his sanitarian room. Yeah, it's even sadder than what you were already thinking. Eleanor is devastated. Even though dad was rarely around, clearly had some problems. She adored her father. She adored him most likely because he was not around. She was able to create some idealized version of him in her mind, blame her mom, you know, uh, for him not being around. Maybe blame mom for his, for his drinking too. And now nine-year-old Eleanor Roosevelt is down both parents and one brother. Eleanor and her remaining sibling, Hall, old Gracie, I went to live with her maternal grandma, Mary Livingston Ludlow of the Livingston family in Tivoli, New York. Her half-brother, Elliot Mann, is living with his mom, estranged from her side of the family. Uh, They did not grow up together. Life at Grandma Mary's, a bit chaotic. More of the same pattern of money and privilege and people doing nothing good with it. Being surrounded by all these people who clearly had the means to do so much and did so little had to have clearly affected Eleanor's worldview and plans for adulthood. Uh, Her Grandma Mary had married a much older, rigidly religious, controlling man who treated her like a child. And when she was 50 and he died, she was not equipped to be a mother and raise her kids or grandkids Uh, or do much of anything, really. She'd been sheltered from actual responsibility until middle age. Her two sons, Eleanor's uncles, Valentine and Edward, had serious problems with alcohol, just like her dad did. And from what I could find out about them, they were just a couple of rowdy, spoiled, petulant assholes. Anna had helped her mom with a family budget. And when she died, Mary was just lost. One cousin recalled her home was, quote, a very unpleasant place. 
and it took his uh, took his toll on Eleanor. Uh, she seemed beaten. Uh, as though life was more than she could bear. Her home was a secluded, semi-barricaded place with shades pulled tightly against the light. Doors, you know, between rooms closed, visitors tightly screened. Ah, yes, again, sound like a, out of a weird movie about, you know, reclusive rich people. Eleanor would later reflect upon her grandma. Her willingness to be subservient to her children isolated her. And it might have been far better for her boys, at least, had she insisted on bringing more discipline into their lives simply by having a life of her own. Man. I get that. You know, you see those parents sometimes who just live vicariously through their kids, you know, and, and then just like become so worried about their kids not being friends with them that they just can't discipline their kids. It's always so fucking pathetic. Eleanor understood Hall's sadness, used it as a catalyst for her own happiness. Uh, my grandmother's life had a considerable effect on me, for even when I was young, I determined, she wrote in this I remember, that I would never be dependent upon my children by allowing all my interests to center in them. Uh, living with her grandma, she did not uh, seem to overcome her mother's fixation on physical beauty, writing at 14. No matter how plain a woman may be, if truth and loyalty are stamped upon her face, all will be attracted to her. I get that, man. Truth and loyalty, way more important than fading looks. In 1899, at the age of 15, she was sent to Allenswood Academy out of London and Wimble outside of London in Wimbledon. Uh, it was a finishing school, school for young women, basically, teaching them how to be a lady, uh, to enter into society, high society. Uh, it finished, uh, you know, their education and also taught them manners and etiquette. I wish we had a little more of that now, to be honest, man. People are such fucking dirtbags in public so much of the time. Uh, in her later autobiography, she noted how she felt uh, so free for the first time in her life. She loved learning. She was a, she was a time sucker. Although she probably would have found my humor <laughs> quite distasteful and unnecessary. Uh, I'm guessing she would not big, uh, be a big fan of the Chikatilo, uh, you know, cameos. Uh, she became uh, the headmistress, uh, Marie uh, Savustra's favorite student. Uh, Eleanor learned fluent French. She was loved by her peers. She visited with her aunt, uh, Anna, Bamy Roosevelt, often, who had encouraged her to go to Allenswood in the first place. She kept in touch with uh, Sylvestre until the headmistress died in 1905, and she wished to stay at Allenswood as long as possible. But she was summoned back to the States by her grandma, Mary, in 1902, to make her social debut, much to her dismay. Uh, rich people problems, man. Oh, man. Can't stay at a prestigious private school, not making any money, living in Europe. Got to come home and find a man. Now she's 17, without a, without a single man interested in her. She's practically an old maid already. Does she want to die alone? She's, uh, she later remembered this time as being terrible. She didn't really know anyone in her little debutante circuit anymore. She was a, she was a fish out of rich water in New York. <laughs> uh, you know, again, uh, you know, first world problems, you know. At least you didn't have to, I don't know, find a fucking job and pay your way through life. But I haven't walked in her shoes, so maybe I shouldn't judge. And she did she all her life, so I really shouldn't judge. This is, this is also about the same time she started, uh, you know, uh, to, to involve herself in her charity work for the first time, giving of herself to the general public and is the legacy she'd become most known for. So sorry about the job crack. Uh, turns out, you know, uh, she was doing some cool stuff. She became active with the New York Junior League shortly after its founding, teaching dancing and calisthenics <laughs> in the East Side slums in New York. Uh, the New York Junior League, still around today, was founded just a year before in 1901. Mary Harriman, a student at Barn Barnard College, was so moved by the poverty in New York City, she decided to do something about it. She rallied her friends, joined the cause, and soon they were visiting the Lower East Side settlements, teaching and mentoring the immigrant families who were living there. And now Eleanor is helping her as well. Uh, she was immediately criticized by some relatives for engaging in public activity, not common for a young woman. He says, how dare you help those poor people, Eleanor? Why, if they wanted better lives, they would have been born into wealthy families like we were. It's all about one's choices. I wanted a life of beach home vacations, European trips, lobster and champagne. So I was born into wealth and privilege. I willed it. They chose to be born into squalor and filth. They must want it. You must let them be. 
I work like this at the time, yeah. It's just not the norm for the swells. Mucking about with the poor and the disenfranchised. God, somebody could see him. Crazy that her uh, noble decision to help others drew criticism. Well, that summer, she met her father's fifth cousin, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, on a train to Tivoli, uh, New York, and they immediately did it. Oh, so hard. They had sex eight times before he even knew her name. Uh, they had sex three times before uh, he even knew she was a woman. And they had sex once before he even knew she was a human being. Hail, Lucifina. I mean, uh, be gone. Now, they had nice old-timey courting. The two began a secret correspondence and romance and became engaged on November 22nd, 1903. Says, who's granny now, mama? Who's granny now? Eleanor's future mother-in-law, Sarah Ann Delano, uh, apparently opposed the union, made FDR promise that the engagement would not uh, be officially announced for a year. Eleanor just couldn't win with maternal figures, man. Sarah tried to give her son a year to change his mind. That's got to be so shitty. To have your future mother-in-law that opposed to you and to have your future husband agree to delay the announcement, that had to have stung too. Uh, luckily for him, I guess, uh, you know, Eleanor was used to being beaten down by, by her own mom. Franklin finally stood up for Eleanor and wrote his mother, I know what pain I must have caused you. I know my own mind and I've known it for a long time and I know that I could never think uh, otherwise. Adding, <laughs> now stop being such a selfish, controlling bitch. And then he immediately threw that draft of the letter away and rewrote the last part. Uh, Sarah, no. Sarah even sent a, a, a baby boy FDR, the young man who uh, five years later would invest $5,000 in to find that Oak Island treasure, as you learned last week. She even sent FDR on a Caribbean cruise in 1904, <laughs> hoping to kill their romance. FDR was determined. Uh, he loved Eleanor, and the two were married on March 17, 1905. Again, what a bitch. You know, just, Franklin, my dear boy, I have a surprise for you. I've bought you a trip to the Caribbean. You can explore shipwrecks and drink on tropical paradise beaches and maybe even find some time for romance. Thank you, Mother. I can't wait to tell Eleanor. She'll be delighted. Uh, Eleanor's not invited. I bought a ticket for you and you alone. There'll be lots of single women on the boat. I want you to explore your options. I want you to get your dick wet. What? Ah, that was too much. Ah, uh, he, goes, he goes on a trip. But as I said, they stay together. They get, you know, they get married. Eleanor's uncle, President Teddy Roosevelt, gives Eleanor away at the wedding. Man, Jesus, the prestige of this family. Who's giving you away? Uh, my uncle. And what does your uncle do? Uh, he's the leader of the free world. Teddy's presence put their wedding on the front page of the New York Times and other newspapers, and he said of their wedding, it's a good thing to keep the name in the family. Uh, okay. Uh, kind of cool, I guess. Also kind of creepy. Uh, a bit incestuous, really, right? <laughs> Just keep it in the family. That's what I always say. When uh, looking for a good woman, look no further than down the hallway of your own home. <laughs> Start with siblings, and if they're taken, look to cousins next. Don't muddy the water. Keep the bloodlines pure. Unlike other women, at least you have a good idea where your sisters and cousins have been. All right, I know I'm being a little ridiculous, but man, a fifth cousin's not nearly the same as sister. Still, just a weird thing to say. Weird mentality. Uh, They spent the summer of 1905 on a three-month honeymoon tour of Europe. Three months in Europe. And then FDR's mommy gave them one of the family homes. Uh, the, The big house in Hyde Park, New York. It's a museum today. It's a National Historic Site, the house FDR was born in, 20,000-foot mansion on 265 acres. Uh, you know, you just have it when you get back from staying in the finest hotels in Europe for an entire summer. Holy shit, this level of wealth is always mind-blowing to me. The kind where, like, can you imagine that? Like, when you travel, you, you don't even have to think about money. Think about that. Like, there's literally no hotel too expensive for you to stay at. You don't consider price when you look at a menu. Can you imagine that? You don't consider the, the, the expense of the restaurant. You go wherever you feel like going. You don't budget for activities, outings. You do whatever you, know, you, you, you want to do that you have time to fit into your plans, and you have a lot of time because you can essentially you know, basically hang out over there 
practically as long as you want. Jesus, FDR side of the Roosevelt's, like Eleanor's, also made their money in banking years and years and years before. Uh, I traced back the Roosevelt wealth that, that includes FDR's branches in that suck on Teddy, if you want to check that out. All this awesomeness came, however, with a nasty string attached. Uh, FDR's mom would also be living at the family home in Hyde Park Mansion. You know, uh, her quarters are connected to the newlyweds <laughs> by a sliding door. How terrible would that be to be living with your mother-in-law immediately after your honeymoon? No, thank you. No, thank you. I don't know. I honestly don't know if that'd be worth being rich. And I, and I get along great with my mother-in-law, but I would never want her a sliding glass door away. I would never want any mother-in-law a sliding glass door away. And especially think about from Eleanor's point of view, she's doing that with a mother-in-law who does not like her. <laughs> How the fuck do you accept that? You know, I don't know. I guess him being super rich didn't hurt. And, you know, I don't know. And Eleanor, she did, she did clearly love him. Uh, but yeah, sounds, sounds terrible though. Sarah sounds like the mother-in-law from hell. Poor Eleanor. Shitty mom. Checked out grandma. Super shitty mother-in-law. Uh, Sarah and Delano just did, uh, d- did not like Eleanor. Uh, she also didn't trust Eleanor to be in charge of, the son's fun- yeah, to be in charge of her son's family. Uh, she ran both households, especially when her six grandkids were born. That's right, six grandkids. Apparently uh, mom being right around the corner did not stop old FDR and Ellie from, from knocking it out. Just crushing it every time mom steps away. Maybe. Well, I kind of actually kind of address that later. Uh, Sarah sounded like a terrible grandma. Eleanor's elder son, James, remembers Sarah once telling her grandkids, your mother only bore you. I am your mother more than your mother is. Fuck that. That's when old mom-in-law gets kicked the hell out of her own home. Uh, actually, that wasn't an option. She, she, I think she, she gave it to him, but she, <laughs> she still had all the money kind of control of it. And actually, to be fair, uh, while Eleanor was an amazing woman, she was not the best mom. So maybe that was a good call, that, that, that call on Sarah's part. She, she admitted as much, Eleanor would, saying later, it did not come naturally to me to understand little children or to enjoy them. Right? She didn't even enjoy, enjoy them. <laughs> she also admitted late in life that she didn't enjoy uh, making them, saying that having sex with FDR was, quote, an ordeal. Uh, but they had kids nonetheless. They had Anna Eleanor Roosevelt, born in 1906, who would live until 1975. James Ro- Roosevelt II, born in 1907, who would live until 1991. Franklin Roosevelt, born in 1909, who would also die, sadly, in 1909 at the age of eight months. He was never a healthy baby. He was sickly the entire time, battling jaundice, uh, the flu early on, had an enlarged heart and heart murmur, and he, and he passed away early. Uh, they had to, that had to have been hell to deal with, Jesus. Uh, the couple then had Elliot Roosevelt, born in 1909, who would live until 1990. And then they took a few years off of baby making, and then they had two more kids, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt Jr., born in 1914, uh, died in 1988, and then John Aspinwall Roosevelt II, uh, born in 1916, he would die in 1981. And then I'm guessing Eleanor was like, enough, Jesus, you either put on one of those new condom thingies or you're you keeping your thingy out of me. That's a direct quote. Of course it's not. Actually, we're going to learn more uh, soon about why Eleanor, you know, might not have wanted to... Uh, Keep having kids. Might not have wanted to do it anymore. Maybe five kids is finally enough. You know, maybe Eleanor just didn't love sex, at least not with FDR. Uh, maybe FDR focuses sexual energy elsewhere. Uh, that's at least part of the problem. Uh, he, may, he may have focused his sexual energy elsewhere because his wife was not interested in having sex uh, with him. Uh, you know, I'm not cavalier about infidelity, but if your partner is sexually repulsed by you, I get cheating. I do. I do think it seems uh, fair in, in that context. If you join in a relationship where you agree to be someone's sole sexual outlet for life, it is highly unreasonable to then cut them off forever and expect them to remain faithful. Anywho, uh, 1918, FDR got caught having an affair with her own secretary, uh, Lucy Mercer. 
And he's having an affair with his wife's secretary in September 1918 when Eleanor, unpacking for her husband, who had just returned from England with the flu, discovered a bundle of incriminating letters. Uh-oh. Five years prior, 1913, on the advice of Anna Roosevelt Cowles, a family elder known as Auntie Bai, Eleanor Roosevelt had hired Lucy Mercer, seven years younger, to be her social secretary. FDR was newly installed as the assistant secretary of the Navy. She was in the early stage of pregnancy and overwhelmed the demands of Washington society. Attractive and personable, Lucy quickly proved herself so useful and efficient that she became practically a member of the family. Well, yeah, I guess, guess, she, guess she did in a different way than Eleanor expected. Eleanor offered FDR divorce, but Sarah, old mommy dearest, uh, actually stepped in and said that if he left his wife, she would cut him off without a cent. So weird, man, that this guy who was like, you know, going to become one of the, the most powerful people in the world, like while he was president, would still be holding to mommy's purse strings. So weird, that kind of multi-generational wealth, you know, the control that sometimes comes along with it, where like the kids don't really become adults in some way. But uh, yeah, so she's going to cut him off. So, you know, uh, not, not, did not see that coming. Uh, not sure if Eleanor had just grown on her or if she just knew that FDR's political career was over if he left the mother of his five children for his wife's assistant. I'm guessing it was that. Uh, Anna was a no bitch, but she, uh, was a bitch, but she was no dummy. FDR was was an ambitious young politician, currently serving as Assistant Secretary of the Navy, the second highest rank, uh, uh, you know, in the Navy for an official. Uh, he'd been a New York State Senator prior to his appointment, but he had he had ambitions to go much further. Obviously, as we know, he became president, uh, and Mom knew he would never he would never achieve political glory, you know, with a scandalous divorce on his record, especially at that time. Uh, Lewis Howe, Franklin's trusted advisor, uh, also reaffirmed that a divorce would mean the end of his political career. So Franklin agreed to stay in the marriage. Under two conditions set down by Eleanor, he had to break off his uh, his affair with Lucy Mercer immediately and for good, and he could never again ever share his wife's bed. Ugh. Oh man, that's weird. According to the uh, author Joseph uh, Persico's book Franklin and Lucy, President Roosevelt, uh, Mrs. Ruth Rutherford, and the other remarkable women in his life. Franklin observed the second part of the agreement. You know, he stayed out of his wife's bed. How long he kept the first part has been a matter of some scholarly debate, and people are guessing not very long. Uh, some believe that Lucy attended Roosevelt's first inauguration in March 1933, hiding in the back of a limousine he had sent for her. Uh, the White House logs do show that someone named Mrs. Paul Johnson, believed to be a pseudonym for Lucy Rutherford, as she was then, uh, having married uh, Winthrop Rutherford. Winthrop. What a, what a classic rich white person's name. Hello, Winthrop. Hello, Solomon. I don't know what the other name would be. Uh, wealthy widower. Uh, visited in August 1941 again in November, and it had been uh, known for some time that after Winthrop's death in 1944, Lucy began seeing Franklin regularly, and that she and not his wife was with him uh, when he died in Warm Springs, Georgia in April 1945. Man, the interesting and complicated lives power people, powerful people so often live, right? Well, historical author... Uh, uh, Persico, uh, by the way, is, is a pretty reputable source of info. He wrote about the CIA, Nuremberg, the Civil War, World War I, and he was uh, the primary speechwriter for the governor of New York and vice president, Nelson A. Rockefeller. And so the romantic chapter of the long marriage between FDR and Eleanor comes to a close. It became a partnership based primarily, primarily on political goals, uh, much like what I strongly assume Bill and Hillary Clinton's uh, marriage to have been for many, many years now. You know, I wonder how many years it's been since those two have had sex. I'd, I'd put my I'd put my money uh, around somewhere like 20, 30 years since they've been intimate in a physical way. I, I, not that that's any of my fucking business, pure speculation, but it's the vibe I get. After their new agreement, Eleanor became active in public life and threw her focus into social work. Rather than to being a, a dutiful wife, the role she'd been attempting to play for the last decade, 
And uh, while no longer romantic, Eleanor did still hold a close and influ- uh, influential relationship with FDR. She wouldn't cross a line that would jeopardize his career and his strategies and agendas, and uh, she'd encourage him to take a harder stand on many things rather than tabling subjects he found politically difficult. You know, without Eleanor, uh, you know, there's a chance FDR wouldn't have taken a stance on civil rights. In June of 1941, Roosevelt would issue Executive Order 8802, which created the Fair Employment Practice Committee, the FEPC. It was the most important federal move in support of the rights of African Americans between Reconstruction and the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, The president's order stated that the federal government would not hire any person based on their race, color, creed, or national origin. The FEPC enforced the order to ban discriminatory hiring within the federal government and in corporations and received federal contracts. Millions of African-American men and women achieved better jobs and better pay as a result. Uh, Eleanor also clearly loved and cared for FDR. In August 1921, FDR was diagnosed with polio while uh, on vacation with his family at uh, Cape Bello Island, New Brunswick, Canada. He was enjoying a day of sailing on his yacht when he suddenly fell overboard into the icy waters of the Bay of Fundy, uh, which ironically felt paralyzing to his body uh, instead of shocking. Uh, The following day, FDR complained of lower back pain, went for a swim in hopes of easing the soreness as the day progressed. He could feel his legs becoming weaker, and by the third day, he could no longer stand and hold his weight. His skin quickly became very sensitive, and eventually even a slight breeze across his body caused great distress. Well, Eleanor was the one who took charge of the situation and began to contact a handful of doctors hoping one of them would be able to find a remedy to his unknown infirmity. One of these doctors was Dr. Keene, who insisted the issue stemmed from a blood clot located in the lower spinal cord and recommended that he receive lumbar massages daily in order to help circulation. Days later, FDR was notified by Dr. Keene that his earlier diagnosis was incorrect, and instead he claimed the distress was being caused by a spinal lesion. The massage therapy continued, but they did not prove to be successful in curing the paralysis. Of course not. On August 25th, 1921, another physician, Dr. Robert Lovett, diagnosed FDR with infantile paralysis. You know, that is polio. Uh, Polio is a virus that destroys nerve cells in the spinal cord. And before a vaccine was developed, uh, you know, and and in in, in underdeveloped worlds where there still is no vaccine, it hit some people a lot harder than others. 70% of people infected, I guess, never actually exhibit symptoms. And many who do regain full use of their limbs, but not everyone. And, you know, clearly not FDR. And again, vaccinate your kids, man. You can vaccinate against polio, but you cannot cure it as it is a virus. You know, if you don't get vaccinated and you catch it, you know, uh, you can't just penicillin it away. You just got to hope that it's not going to fuck up your nerves uh, to the point that it's going to make your legs not work. What a strange affliction for FDR to come down with, man. It was uncommon for a man of 39 to come down with polio. Most people acquired the disease during infancy. Uh, but most children became, uh, um, you know, become immune to the disease by the age of four. Lovett explained that in order for a person to combat uh, polio, they must be in good emotional and physical health and have a healthy immune system. FDR thought the stressful life of politics might have made him susceptible to the disease and he never, and he stepped away from politics for a while. Again, again, uh, must be nice not to come down with polio, obviously, uh, but to have the family money to be able to walk away from your career at 39 and just deal with polio as, as you, you know, would like to in a perfect situation for that imperfect, you know, uh, medical condition. Uh, you know, and, and, and the stress thing, how stressful can your career really be when you don't need to pay your bills? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, no, maybe it is really it is harder being super-duper rich than I realize. I, from the outside, it seems fantastic. Uh, FDR would remain partially paralyzed from the legs down permanently. Eleanor had to fight with Sarah about uh, FDR's future. Uh, she persuaded him to stay in politics despite Sarah's objections for him to retire. 
You know, Eleanor impressed FDR's doctors during his recovery, one doctor even proclaiming Eleanor to be one of her, his heroines because of her obvious devotion to FDR during this time. Uh, following FDR's polio prognosis in 1921, Eleanor began to make more public appearances, you know, kind of standing in for her husband, uh, pun intended. Uh, Eleanor really started to become a prominent political figure after FDR came down, yeah, with polio. He, need, he now needed her. You know, he had to rely on her like never before, man. She, uh, she was coached by FDR advisor Lewis Howe, and she ended up becoming a great orator, political power. Uh, she worked with the Women's Trade Union League to raise funds to support their goals of a 48-hour work week, minimum wage, abolishing child labor. She became an influential leader in the Democratic Party in New York, networked for her, uh, her husband, Franklin. She made uh, friends with women of the party you know, to strengthen FDR's standing with the New York Democrats while he worked on just recovering physically. In January of 1922, uh, FDR was fit with braces that locked in at the knee, continued the length of his leg, and by the spring of that year, he could stand with assistance. He wanted to heal enough to resume his political career, and he knew that if he couldn't stand, it just wasn't going to happen. He knew America, at least not the America of the 1920s, not going to vote for someone in a wheelchair, uh, not going to vote for them uh, for an important political office. He was, he was a tough dude, man, physically and mentally. He wasn't going to let polio stop him. He wasn't going to let uh, people's prejudices stop him. Uh, Eleanor may have been even tougher than him. She had her principles, and she refused to back down from them. In 1924, she campaigned for Democrat Alfred E. Smith in his successful re-election bid as governor of New York State against, he was running against, the Republican nominee and her first cousin, Theodore Roosevelt Jr., son of the man who gave her away at her wedding. Man, that had to have been a little awkward. Uh, her, her Aunt Bamey, you know, uh, once a big champion of hers, once a source of inspiration to her, publicly broke ties with Eleanor, said she'd never forgive her for campaigning against her own family, saying, I just hate to see Eleanor let herself look as she does. Though never handsome, she always had to me a charming effect. Alas and alack, ever since politics have become her choicest interest, all her charm has disappeared. Wow, fucking cheap shot, Aunt Bamey, you bitch. Oh, wow, man, attacking that sore spot with her looks. What a low blow. How catty. Man, getting, trying to get in her head. Ah, what? A, what seriously, like, for, for an older woman, what a cheap shot. She's doing some political stuff, you're going to be like, yeah, but she's ugly. Well, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Bringing back all those memories of her asshole mom. Eleanor hit back, you know, said Bamie was an aged woman. Basically, you know, that was, I guess, her way of saying, like, ah, she's fucking old, doesn't know what she's talking about. Teddy <laughs> Jr. Uh, was defeated by 105,000 votes. Never forgave his cousin, Eleanor. Uh, and again, I'm sure awkward little tension. Uh, you know, future family functions. Uh, uh, Teddy, do you mind not being a sore loser and passing the grilled artichoke? Well, why don't you get your husband to get it for you, Eleanor? Or is he too busy being paralyzed of a baby disease? 1921, Eleanor again campaigned for Smith. This time in his run for presidency, he lost. But she did uh, campaign for a winner that year, her husband. FDR ran for governor, New York. And uh, to take over the seat, Smith was leaving vacant in his run for presidency, and FDR won. And that must have really pissed off Teddy Jr. Uh, during his term, Eleanor traveled all across the state of New York making speeches, inspecting state facilities on his behalf, reporting back to him. She became much more involved than she ever would have, uh, you know, had he not contracted polio. Uh, There's rumors that she gave him polio. There's uh, rumors that haunted that she actually uh, got a rag soaked in polio and would just kind of lay it across his face when he slept at night. So that's fucked up. But, uh, yeah, you know, he couldn't walk and see things for himself, so she did that for him. And uh, she also taught upper-level classes in American literature and history. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't do the rag thing. I was just in my mind thinking about how long I was going to let that go. That's, no, she didn't do that. 
she, she encouraged independent thought about, you know, current events and social engagement at the Todd Hunter School for Girls Institution. Uh, she helped buy in 1927 because she believed in it so much. It was a finishing school that offered college prep classes in New York City, and Eleanor taught there three days a week until FDR was elected president in 1932. And she also helped run Valkill Industries, a small factory to provide supplemental income for local farming families who would make furniture, pewter, homespun cloth using traditional craft methods. I love this. It's so weird to me. Uh, 1927, she and three friends she'd met through her activities in the women's division of the New York State Democratic Party, Nancy Cook, Marion Dickerman, and Caroline O'Day, established Valkill, located on the banks of a stream that flowed through the Roosevelt family estate in Hyde Park. Oh, I'm sure mother-in-law Anna just loved that. Just, Franklin, why do you allow your wife to run some sort of bohemian compound, some commune on our family's sacred grounds? Why, they're probably drinking moonshine and listening to jazz down there. Our neighbors must think we're socialists. Uh, capitalizing on the popularity of the colonial revival look, most Valkyrie furniture products were modeled on 18th century, uh, you know, colonial revival designs. Uh, you can still find this stuff. You can find like uh, you can find reproductions uh, of this furniture. I'm sure there's original pieces out there you can pay a lot of money for. And Valkyrie Industries is actually back, uh, you know, making like it's been kind of reincarnated, making new furniture, you know, in the in the same style. She loved this business. She promoted it via interviews and public appearances. Unfortunately, it never became what she envisioned it to be. You know, and uh, but it did lay the groundwork for New Deal initiatives. You know, later during FDR's tenure as president. Again, just how random and cool is that? Future first lady running some sort of hippie, you know, artesian furniture shop. All right, 1932, that was a huge uh, deal for Eleanor and FDR. Her husband decided to run for president. It's a big year. And she was deeply involved in his campaign. You know, it was a tough campaign during the primary stage. On the first presidential ballot of the Democratic Convention, Roosevelt received the votes of more than half, but less than two-thirds of the delegates. Smith, uh, finishing in a distant second place, Speaker of the House John Nance Garner, who controlled the votes of Texas and California, threw his support behind Roosevelt after the third ballot, and Roosevelt clinched the nomination on the fourth ballot. In his acceptance speech, Roosevelt declared, I pledge you, I pledge myself to a new deal for the American people. This is more than a political campaign, it is a call to arms. Roosevelt promised securities regulations, tariff reduction, farm relief, government-funded public works, other government actions to address the Great Depression, which he would follow through on. And then Roosevelt crushed it in the general election. He won 57% of the popular vote and carried all but six states. And I'd go uh, more in depth than that, and I think I will someday in a future suck for FDR. He definitely deserves his own. On March, March 4th, 1933, Eleanor motherfucking Roosevelt inaugurated as the most badass first lady of the United States of America up until that point in history. Actually, FDR is inaugurated uh, president, but, you know, this is a huge day for Eleanor's own political future as well. Eleanor redefined how a first lady handled the office. Before her, first ladies were, you know, they wore swimsuits and they were drunk most of the time. That doesn't get talked about a lot. No, that's, no, and that, that didn't happen. That's weird. Before Eleanor, uh, first ladies grilled cheeseburgers and farted on the White House land and they flashed their boobs at truckers. So now, now that's, that's even weirder. Before Eleanor, first ladies hosted parties, and that was pretty much it. Uh, since they had a large staff to maintain the house, and it, you know, it, was, it was just kind of on display to the public. And that one actually is correct. Now, for the first time, a first lady is doing more than her you know, wifely and motherly duties. She's taken on social projects that supported FDR's New Deal. She had the support of her predecessors because they had stopped their feminist activities once they became first, first ladies. She intimidated a lot of D.C. men. You know, they were not always or even often fans of a woman being so involved in what they considered to be a man's business. And they were not used to a woman speaking her mind the way Eleanor did. She became known as the most controversial first lady in United States history. And she also became uh, beloved by many. 
In early 1933, the Bonus Army, as it was known, a protest group of World War I veterans, marched on Washington for the second time in two years, calling for their veteran bonus certificates to be awarded early. The previous year, you know, and remember, this is the Great Depression. They, they need the money. The previous year, President Herbert Hoover had ordered them to be dispersed, and the U.S. Army Cavalry charged and bombarded the veterans with tear gas. How fucked up is that? Attacking veterans, attacking war veterans who are peacefully protesting to be taken care of after the war. Uh, shit like that makes my blood boil, man. Veterans are the only reason any of our lives are worth a shit in this country today. Well, no tear gas on Ellie's watch. No, sir. No, ma'am. This time they were visited by Eleanor at their muddy campsite, listening to their concerns and singing army songs along with them. The meeting diffused the tension between the veterans and the administration, allowing them to negotiate. One of the marchers later commented, Hoover sent the army, Roosevelt sent his wife. She stood up for the little guy, even when she didn't agree with all of the little guy's views. Like in this next situation, one of her main concerns, uh, or main areas of concern for U.S. labor was minors. They had unionized during the Depression, and those who participated in activities were blackballed. From being hired, she proposed a resettlement community in Arthurdale, West Virginia. The idea was that they could make a living by farming, making handicrafts, by working at a local manufacturing plant. She wanted the project to be a model community to have workers cared for, and it went along with FDR's New Deal ideals. And so he was all for it. Well, initially, it didn't work at all. They tried, you know, using prefabricated houses, you know. Uh, but in 1934, when that didn't work, they, they tried it again. Now with every modern convenience, by modern, every modern convenience, I mean indoor plumbing and central steam heating, getting some heat. Oh, how was that? Man, we take that shit for granted now. Indoor plumbing and heat. Can you imagine them without either one of those? Ugh. Families occupied the homes in June with uh, 30-year loans. Uh, Eleanor wanted a racially mixed community. This is the part where she disagreed with people. Uh, she wanted a racially mixed community, but the miners insisted on it, on it being a white Christian community. They even voted on it. They excluded black and Jewish miners from living there. People are so goddamn ignorant sometimes, right? The, the fucking balls on these people. Hell yes, I want to live in a government-subsidized modern home with heat and indoor plumbing. I sure would like to have a helping hand. However, I'll, I'll keep my dirty, starving kids living in the squalor of a cold cabin and dirty outhouse if it means I don't have to live around the Jews and the Negroes. Unfucking believable If it were me, I would have been tempted to let them just suffer after voting that down, right? You want to be ignorant, right? We're trying to help you. You know, you, you need money. You're starving. We're offering to help, and you're like, I'll accept your help, but only on a couple conditions. The, the Jews and the Negroes don't have to live around me. Man, go fuck yourselves. Just fucking starve then. But I guess, you know, that wouldn't break the cycle of ignorance, you know, and then that would be bad for the kids, you know. They didn't, they didn't get to vote, you know. They didn't choose to be born into ignorance. I don't know. Eleanor was a much better person than I am, and she was smarter. She wanted to help them anyway. Uh, the racism of this event did motivate Eleanor to take a stand on racial equality. Despite her disappointment in their backwards racial views, she didn't give up on helping this project. She raised money for the community for years, even spent her own money on the project. Both sides of the aisle didn't really like the project. Conservatives called it a socialist and a communist plot. Of course they did. Uh, Democrats uh, said it, it put government in competition with private enterprise. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. You know, but I, I don't know if I'd want, <laughs> I'm, I'm so, whenever things start to feel a little socialist and communism, I guess I get a little conservative myself. Living in California did that to me, man, my interactions with the government there. Big government, not a fan, not a fan. Uh, it was also expensive, you know, with all these modern amenities, amenities like plumbing and heating. Uh, it was, it was considered a failure overall because it was very expensive and dependent on outside assistance, you know, uh, but the residents loved it and allowed many of them to re-enter the economy, be self-sufficient. So Eleanor considered it a success. You know, they would go on to become taxpayers themselves and get back on their feet. So that part's good. Uh, you know, and she loved seeing the improvements in people's lives. 
she was a, she was an early and powerful advocate for civil rights and racial equality after that event, you know, especially. One of her best friends was Mary McLeod Bethune. Mary was born from slaves. She, was, uh, she worked coffin, cotton fields. She picked 250 pounds a day when she was nine years old in the cotton fields. And she opened a school for black girls in Florida out of a four-room cottage in 1904 with only five students initially. Through her tenacity and resourcefulness and fundraising, the school expanded to include 250 students just two years later. School gained a popularity, eventually merged with the Cookman Institute for Men in Jacksonville to form Bethune-Cookman College in 1923. As its original founder, Bethune served as president of this institution, one of the nation's few colleges open to black students, until 1942. Uh, with such success, Mary became a leader in the black community and the feminist community. She founded the National Council of Negro Women in New York in 1935. And Eleanor loved her, and she made sure her husband knew about Mary. You know, there's something about Mary. Uh, FDR appointed Mary as director uh, of the Division of Negro Affairs of the National Youth Administration, 1936-1943, where she excelled immensely because of her love of education. And uh, Eleanor and FDR were both strong advocates for education as well. They believed, uh, you know, education, you have to empower people for the future. And Beth, Beth Hume was right on board with that. She was one of FDR's most trusted advisors of the unofficial black cabinet he held. Mary came to the White House often, and in Eleanor's same ball-busting attitude, she always insisted Beth Hume sat right next to her. Applauding her wisdom and her goodness, Eleanor dedicated a My Day column in memoriam to the black educator at the time of the latter's death. Uh, 1955, they were true friends. To avoid problems with the staff, when Beth Hume would visit the White House, Eleanor would meet her at the gate, embrace her, walk with her arm in arm. Eleanor broke a butt-ton of traditions, especially by inviting African-American guests to the White House. She, re- she resigned from the Daughters of the American Revolution because they denied Marion Anderson, a black singer, uh, from the use of the Washington's Constitution Hall in 1939. Uh, she, arranged in, in another con- uh, she arranged another concert on the steps of Lincoln Memorial and presented her to the King and Queen of England and had her perform at a White House dinner. I fucking love it. She refused to succumb to the ignorance of so many of the peers of her day. Eleanor lobbied behind the scenes for the 1934 uh, Costigan-Wagner bill uh, to make lynching a federal crime, including arranging a meeting between Franklin and NAACP President Walter Francis White. Fearing he'd lose a lot of votes of the Southern congressional, congressional delegations for his legislative agenda, Franklin, however, did refuse to publicly support the bill which did prove to uh, be unable to pass in the Senate. Uh, it's nature of politics sometimes. you got to compromise your values on some things to get other things passed, I guess. Uh, Eleanor came out in 1937, publicly condemned uh, lynchings, which was sadly unheard of for a first lady or really just you know white people in general at that time. Between 1882 and 1968, more than 3,500 African Americans were murdered by lawless white mobs. You probably remember this uh, from the KKK time suck. Uh, there were 28 such murders in 1933 alone. The victims were often tortured, beaten, burned alive, hanged. Almost no one was arrested or convicted for these crimes. In 1934, Mrs. Roosevelt joined the NAACP, started working with his leader, Walter White, to help pass, again, federal anti-lynching legislation. And this is huge, man. Talking about lynching as a white person, especially as a white woman, just didn't happen back then. You know, which was, you know, tragic because obviously lynchings were pretty common. And there were zero repercussions, you know, uh, felt usually by the white perpetrators of those crimes. Eleanor gave a lot of fucks. She gave a lot of fucks about civil rights, and she grew so popular among African Americans, uh, previously a reliable Republican voting bloc, that they became a consistent base of support for the Democrat Party. Uh, Eleanor was a, also a prolific writer, spreading her ideals in print. I referenced that My Day column a little bit ago. Uh, she, yeah, she started writing a column called My Day in 1935 and kept it until 1962, six days a week. Fuck, man. I thought I was kicking out a lot of content recently. I got nothing on ER. 
FYI, uh, there's a link in the show notes on the Time Suck app to a website that has uh, all of her old My Day articles archived. Uh, Eleanor discussed whatever she felt was important, you know, race, women, key events. The column gave her a voice to spread her ideas. She was the first first lady to write a newspaper column. What she was doing was truly unprecedented. No American woman had ever used a media platform in this way before or had access to one. At its height, it was published in 90 papers all over the nation. She also made a, you know, money off of her column. Uh, while she had a crazy inheritance, she also wanted to make her own money for her own independence. She matched FDR's presidential salary of $75,000. Love it. <laughs> Not only uh, making as much as a man, she was uh, making as much as the uh, president. She was a busy bee. She lectured. She wrote for newspapers and magazines. She even hosted a weekly radio show. She wanted to stay connected to the citizens and to the voters. And she's doing like a, a thousand times more good each day in the world than either of her parents ever did in their cumulative existences. She hosted a weekly press conference exclusive uh, to women uh, journalists so that they could have big scoops, you know, and get things to report on. She did this because at the time, female journalists had a hard time getting hired. And uh, they were the first to be let go because they didn't have anything to write about. You know, they weren't given anything to write about. Eleanor created her uh, women-only weekly press conferences, you know, so that they would have be, they would be irreplaceable to newspapers and magazines. And I think sometimes certain men get pissed off at stuff like this because, you know, it feels unfair. It's like, how is it okay to combat, you know, men not giving women opportunities and chances by giving chances to women at the expense of men and not giving men those opportunities? Well, because that's the only way these women would ever get chances. Eleanor wasn't trying to put women above men. She was trying to bring them up to an equal place. Uh, she also had a very busy travel schedule. You know, she made uh, tons of appearances, labor meetings to assure the workers of the Depression, uh, so, you know, that they knew that the White House was working for them. Eleanor developed a relationship with the American Youth Congress, leading to the formation of the National Youth Administration, part of the New Deal in 1935 that focused on providing work and education for young Americans between 16 and 25 years old. She cared a lot about the youth of America, saying, I live in real terror when I think we may be losing this generation. We have to bring uh, these young people into the active life of the community and make them feel that they are necessary. Uh, she was always in FDR's ear about civil rights for races and genders whenever uh, there was a nomination. You know, she always made sure at least one woman was included on the list. You know, she dealt with a lot of sexism. It was a norm at the time, not just from FDR, because uh, uh, when she was, like, uh, trying to make those lists, uh, he, I guess there was a thing where supposedly he'd always be like, oh, God, I, I thought I had somebody on there already. I must I must have missed it. I could have sworn I, I included a woman. And then he'd, you know, fix the problem. Uh, <laughs> she had to quit many of her en endeavors because, you know, it brought so much negative publicity that it hurt the causes she often worked for. You know, people were mad about her trying to fight for people's rights. Uh, many people not fans of the first lady, you know, having so much influence over the president. Uh, luckily more people didn't have a problem with it. You know, he did win four fucking elections. Uh, she was incredibly active during World War II in the early forties. Uh, during World War II, she traversed the ocean despite, uh, Nazi submarines posing a, a threat to any passenger ship. You know, when she made it across the Atlantic, she was terrified to cross the Atlantic, but she, she made the trip anyway to speak with Prime Minister Churchill. She was almost like an ambassador of FDR's policy. She visited the South Pacific as well, earned a, a trust of the military leadership enough to go to the Guadalcanal, where active military fighting was still happening when she visited. She visited many active military during the war and listened to their concerns. You know, of course, this was met with negativity that she was spending taxpayer money on this trip. Uh, you know, actually, in, in truth, more often than not, she, she funded these trips with her own money. Uh, following the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, Roosevelt spoke out against Japanese-American prejudice, warning America against the great hysteria against minority groups. But then when her husband, under you know, a lot of political pressure, uh, passed Executive Order 9066 requiring Japanese-Americans in many years of the U.S. to enter uh, kind of uh, internment camps, uh, she publicly defended the rights of Japanese-Americans as was widely criticized for it. The Los Angeles Times said that she should be forced to retire from public life over her stand on this issue. That's scary. 
the press telling someone to shut up for defending the rights of a minority group in the U.S. A real reminder that you should never feel beholden to the moral laws of your times that you live in, right? You know, follow only the universal moral law of treating others as you yourself would be treated, right? Some golden rule stuff. That's right, Christians. I like a lot of your ethical principles. You know, give others the respect they're due as an equal member of the human race. Uh, even, if the, you know, even if the other members of your day don't want to do that. August, uh, on April 12, 1945, Franklin dies after suffering a cerebral hemorrhage. He'd been in declining health since at least 1940. In addition to the polio, he'd been a chain smoker his entire adult life. Uh, he had high blood pressure and congestive heart failure. And uh, doctors had been continually removing small metal objects, such as little pewter figurines, like the kind you use for like battle recreations, like little scale models things, uh, from his rectum for years. And it's estimated that between uh, four and five pounds of metal was removed from FDR's rectal cavity over the last decade of his life. It's so weird. Uh, no, one, no one knows how it got in there. Uh, there's been no official report ever. The White House has never released any kind of, you know, some classified documents relating to that. So on March 29, 1945, Roosevelt, you know, he'd went away to the little White House uh, at Warm Springs, Georgia, his personal retreat to rest before his anticipated appearance at uh, the founding conference of the United Nations. And then on the afternoon of April 12th, Roosevelt said, I have a terrific pain in the back of my head. He then slumped forward in his chair, unconscious, and was carried into his bedroom. The president's attending cardiologist, Dr. Howard Brune, diagnosed the medical emergency as a massive cerebral hemorrhage. At 3.35, excuse me, 3.35 p.m. that day, Roosevelt died. His mistress, Lucy Mercer Rutherford, was with him when he died. Eleanor and FDR's first child, uh, or sorry, just child, Anna, uh, she had apparently put together his, you know, final meeting with Lucy, fairly unconventional family dynamics. Either Anna or Lucy apparently hid one of the figurines that fell out, you know, when he, when he passed, fell out of his bottom. And uh, please tell me a few of you believe, <laughs> please tell me a few of you believe me about the FDR uh, getting little metal guys stuck up his ass, pounds of them. That would make me happier than, old, than the old chicken, chicken of the sea lie, the old sea chickens lie. I pulled off, you know, in the Bermuda Triangle episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, he had no metal in his butt. While Eleanor did love FDR in her way, she also felt relieved when he died. Uh, she finally had a life that didn't revolve around someone else's agenda. Her kids were grown, her youngest was almost 30, and she could essentially do as she wished. She had money, name recognition, you know, political influence. Yeah, and she just, you know, could do what she wanted. Uh, her kids were, were a bunch of hot messes, uh, not entirely unsuccessful. Some would go on to have minor political careers themselves, but they would lead tumultuous lives. Two of her kids would end up getting married five times each. Fuck, man. Uh, four divorces. I've been through one divorce, and I can't imagine going through three more. If for, for any reason I found myself single again, which, which I hope I don't, I, I hope I just remain alone, there's so much good TV, right? So many more causes to work on. Alone is okay, but four divorces. So much pain in the ass. Not quite FDR metal figurine pain in the ass, but so much. You know, another kid of hers was, you know, of theirs was married four times, another three times. The, the remaining kid only married twice. Part of this turmoil has to be blamed on uh, uh, Eleanor. You know, she was an amazing woman, not an amazing mom. She let her crazy mother-in-law raise her kids without putting up much of a fight, you know. But again, no one's perfect. She did more overall good in the world than most amazing parents have ever done. On uh, December 1945, Harry Truman, her hubby's successor, you know, appointed uh, her as delegate to the UN General Assembly. In April 1946, she became the first chairperson of the preliminary UN Commission on Human Rights. She basically wrote the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. It set out for the first time fundamental human rights to be universally protected for international citizens. Truman called her the First Lady of the World. In a speech on the night of September 28, 1948, Eleanor spoke in favor of the declaration, calling it the International Magna Carta of All Men Everywhere. It was adopted by the General Assembly on December 10, 1948. The vote was unanimous with eight abstentions. 
six Soviet countries, South Africa and Saudi Arabia, they, they, they abstained. 48 nations agreed to it. The Soviet countries abstained mostly because of Article 13, which provided the right of citizens to leave their countries, which luckily for us kept people like serial killer Andrei Chikatilo uh, in Rostov. Uh, what's the big deal? I want, to, I want to come to America and sightsee. I want to see Statue of Liberty and then wrestle Lady Freedom and tell coming. I, I want to see White House. Uh, sex wrestle, capitalists on lawn. I want to eat steak, uh, wear star stripe uh, sweatpants, uh, choke a uh, soft shamecock at Lincoln Memorial, uh, maybe live in America, maybe open a gymnasium, teach pelvic thrust wrestling moves to capitalist youth. I bother no one. Uh, Eleanor also served at the uh, first United States uh, as the first United States representative to the United Nations Commission on Human Rights. Stayed at that position until 1953. Even after stepping down as chair of the commission in 1951, the UN posthumously awarded her one of its first human rights prizes in 1968 in recognition of her work. She campaigned against JFK in the primaries for the Democratic ticket, but ultimately he asked when he won for her blessing and she gave it to him. Right? She had some, she had some clout, man. She had some clout, even GFK. GFK wanted her, her approval. 1949, she was made an honorary member of the historically black organization Alpha Kappa Alpha. April 1960, she's diagnosed with a plastic anemia short after being struck, short, soon after being struck by a car in New York City. 1961, President Kennedy's undersecretary of labor, Esther Peterson, provo- proposed a new presidential commission on the status of women. Uh, Kennedy appointed Roosevelt to chair of that commission with Peterson as director. Tough lady, man. She's getting this position when she's 76 years old, just recently being hit by a car, and she's still working in politics. Uh, this would be Roosevelt's last public position, however. She died just before the commission is- issued its report. Uh, it concluded that female equality was best achieved by recognition of gender differences and needs and not by an equal rights amendment. 1962, she was given steroids, and she started a fucking bodybuilding career, and she put up 465 on the bench, 580 on the squat, and she put up 700 fucking pounds on the deadlift, all right? She's a goddamn beast. No, they put her steroids because she, uh, she was sick. Uh, she, she, uh, you know, she had car rash, car crash injuries. Uh, but the steroids activated a dormant case of, uh, tuberculosis in her bone marrow. She died of the resulting cardiac failure at her Manhattan home at 555 East 74th street on the upper East side, November 7th, 1962 at the age of 78 and ascended directly into Nimrod's eternal and glorious sack of everlasting life, where she now consults Bojangles on how to best implement Nimrod's will to the suck faithful. And sometimes he listens, but not always, because no one other than Nimrod gets to tell Bojangles what to do. Not even Eleanor motherfucking Roosevelt. Eleanor lived at uh, Camp Bello, just outside of Lebec, Maine, in Canada, towards the end of her life. Uh, a lot of Canadian listeners. Thank you guys for listening. That's been growing up there. The first place she uh, felt was uh, hers. Uh, you know, she's finally not overrun by her mother-in-law. Her funeral was attended by three presidents, former and present. Her funeral was at Hyde Park. Uh, she was buried in the garden next to FDR. At services, uh, Adlai Stevenson said, What other single human being has touched and transformed the existence of so many? Adding, she would rather light a candle than curse the darkness, and her glow has warmed the world. And that, mother suckers, takes us out of this Time Suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Wow, pretty epic life, right? Inspiring. She accomplished so much. And she did it as a woman when the deck was so stacked against her, man. The 19th Amendment, women's suffrage, right? The vote was passed August 18th, 1920. Eleanor was 36 at that point. She went 36 years of her life, birthed six children, campaigned vigorously for her husband and his associates for half of her life before she was even allowed to vote herself. 
Man, she was way ahead of her time and being a white woman that cared about the rights of minorities. She was born just 20 years after the Civil War. Many people were still alive that had been born into slavery. You know, she was part of a high, of high society, one of the swells, which meant she was taught, you know, how to be a wealthy wife and a homemaker. She was raised to make babies. She broke the silent role of wives. She had opinions. She loved learning, being part of the conversation. This was the opposite of what people expected of her. In addition to this, she spoke up for women whenever she could. She never got to see the, uh, you know, many of the civil rights, you know, uh, initiatives she was hoping for get passed, but she did live through the Great Depression. She helped end it. She lived through both world wars. She saw the creation of the UN. She wrote the Declaration of Human Rights because she saw what it was like to not have rights. But all of this isn't enough for some people. And those people are called idiots of the internet. Under a YouTube Eleanor Roosevelt American Experience video published by user Edward GL II, an excellent, uh, well-produced biodoc, user R.M. Earls posts, What a load of crap, all caps. A lot of exclamation points. Why didn't she donate her millions to alleviate the suffering of the poor in her country? So many exclamation and question marks. Typical demo. I think that's supposed to be typ- typical dem. Typical demo without doubt and a sex manic to boot. Lot of exclamation points. All right, first let's address the sex manic reference, which I think was supposed to be sex maniac. Uh, there was a real good chance Eleanor uh, was bisexual, if not just, you know, uh, homosexual. And if you're thinking, but she had all those kids. Yeah, uh, gay people have kids all the time. Closeted gay people. Uh, maybe she didn't like sex with FDR because she, you know, because he had the wrong parts she was interested in. There is a book called Eleanor and Hick, The Love Affair That Shaped a First Lady, where uh, the author reveals details from from more than 3,300 letters that Eleanor and reporter Lorena Hickok exchanged over 30 years. The book quotes one letter in which Eleanor wrote to Hickok, who was, op- who, uh, who was openly gay, uh, you know, uh, Lorena was, just, oh, how I want to put my arms around you in reality instead of in spirit. I went and kissed your photograph instead and the tears were in my eyes. Please keep your heart in Washington as long as I'm here for most of my mind is with you. Okay, so, you know, uh, people did speak differently back then, but a lot of letters, a lot of uh, verses like that, a lot of quotes like that. And so she, she probably did have at least one affair, one romantic affair of her own uh, in her, her marriage of convenience. N- not sure that that makes her a sex maniac, though, you know? Uh, and it was very, very, very hard for homosexuals to come out at that time. And, and, you know, she could have justified it as I will do more good for the nation if I don't, which was true. And, uh, and also, you know, how dare you fucking criticize her just in general? Uh, how dare you criticize her for helping the poor, you waste of flesh? I Googled RM Earls. Nothing of significance comes up, just like I thought, because uh, you haven't done anything of significance. How much have you given to the poor? How, how much exactly? How much exactly do you give to the poor? Uh, what percentage of your paycheck every week? Uh, what hours do you volunteer? Uh, you know, I'm guessing zero dollars. I'm guessing zero hours. Eleanor dedicated her life to helping less fortunate. And for this shithead, it's not enough. Yeah, but she's still rich. So fucking what? I always hate it when people who do nothing criticize others for not doing enough. Okay. Now we have uh, another idiot. Uh, user uh, Carlos Perez comments, that's a dude. Ha, see, get it, you guys? You get it, get it, gals? Get it, listeners? Because she doesn't look as traditionally feminine as some other women. Right, so he throws in a dude comment. What the fuck? I, I I know a lot of people think this simplistic, obvious shit like this is funny. You know, whatever. If you want to laugh, but but well, why are you coming to an Eleanor Roosevelt documentary and, and leaving this there? Right, just a troll, I guess. You know, much like the previous poster. You know, ha- have fun, not amounting to shit in life. 
be the guy who just takes cheap shots and makes dumb jokes, you know, uh, about those whose significance you're too intellectually incapable of ever understanding. And then we have today's uh, dumbest of the dumb, <laughs> the real idiot, user uh, Rido, Rido Lentone. It's just a fucking nonsense stream of letters. Redolitone, Redolitone, well, fucking whatever. Uh, and, and, and this idiot posts, she, he, like all royal families, so to say, was a high bred, spelled as in, this, as, as, <laughs> as in the bread you eat, not as in B-R-E-D, high bred transsexual. Her husband, the tranny, too. These people are all positioned, like in Hollywood, for their missions and what they represent. Like going to the movies, and they play their parts well. It is their job. <sighs> wow. Uh, I-, I clicked on Redelatone, whatever the hell, <laughs> to find out more about them. And uh, they have one video, not what I expected. They didn't upload it. They just subscribed to a playlist of spa-like relaxation music. I don't know. I guess they just need something to take the edge off when they start thinking about the Hollywood elite transsexual royal agenda and they get all worked up. What a fucking moron on so many levels. First off, Eleanor Roosevelt was not a transsexual. She identified as a woman uh, her entire life. May have been, probably was, bisexual or gay, not transsexual. And, and FDR never identified as anything other than a straight white dude. And there, and there was no legitimate rumors, not, nothing even close to legitimate, that he was anything other than that. So first off, you're just making up shit. Second... Tranny's an offensive, you know, derogatory term. You know, it's a cheap shot thrown, about, thrown around by ignorant bigots, you know, so you're fucking ignorant. And third, uh, what missions are, are being carried out? You know, always these attacks and plans and agendas and missions talked about by these people. What are they? What, what are they being positioned to do? You know, you, usually this kind of talk leads back to people who believe in demons and, and devils and, you know, and, and Satan, you know, fucking up with our lives still. People, people know, know it's no smarter uh, than the European peasants of the Dark Ages. You know, it's just backward, uneducated, anti-intellectual drivel. Willfully ignorant, you know? Well, all these Capitol Hill and Hollywood elite Illuminati puppets, you know, that's how they got to be famous. They sold their souls. That's how, that's how the Rockefellers and the Roosevelts made their fortunes by signing secret devil packs with evildoers. No, no, you fucking dummy. They got it because their family trees had shinier apples than yours did. You know? <laughs> their ancestors were given more opportunities. Maybe capitalize on opportunities better than yours did. You know, it's, it's, life isn't fair. Yeah, some people end up with more money than other people. And some people, you know, do, do, uh, do nefarious things to hold on to that money for sure. But it's not part of, like, secret agendas. You know, maybe, yeah, they make pacts with people. You know, like, do a political, you do this political for, favor for me and help my company and I'll give you money later. I believe in bribes. I believe in stuff like that. I don't believe in devil pacts. I, I don't believe in stars selling out their souls, you know. Maybe they just work really hard like thousands of other actors. Maybe they, maybe they do some shady things to get a couple nice lucky breaks along the way. And then they're smart enough and talented enough usually to capitalize on them. You know, they're not, they're not fucking putting on hoods and doing chants and shit. What the fuck? Oh, the world is not full of all these crazy secrets. It is full of uh, idiots of the internet, however. And we will continue to mock them rather than ignore them and tacitly embrace their wanton ignorance. I'm not a genius. Not even close. You've heard enough of my fuck ups to know that by now. But at least, unlike user Redonatone or whatever the hell, I'm not trying actively to be an idiot of the internet. Idiots of the internet. internet. So, Eleanor Roosevelt, what a bright, shining light she was, man. Not perfect, we humans never are, you know, but so inspiring. She could have so easily followed in the footsteps of her parents and the footsteps of so many of her other relatives and just lived a life of decadence and leisure, getting fucked up on champagne every day, traipsing around Europe, gallivanting around the world like a, like a dandy old swell. But she didn't. She fought for social justice. 
Love how, love how in so many people's minds, social justice warrior is a derogatory title, by the way, too. Just how dare you try and make the world a better place? How dare you try and evolve? Uh, she fought for women's rights. She fought for the rights of minorities and the poor. She fought for veterans. She seemed consistently, really, when it came to public policy and politics, to do what was right, regardless of what the people thought about her. Man, for a kid who was taunted for being unattractive, she sure, tur- yeah, she sure turned out to be a truly beautiful soul. And let's take another look back at this beautiful soul with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, Eleanor Roosevelt lost both her parents, neither who were very good at parenting early in life and was surrounded by people more more than happy to do as little as humanly possible to help others through the family's money and connections. And she decided to do arguably more for others than any other woman of her lifetime. Number two, FDR and Eleanor remained married until death did them apart, but both may have very well had, uh, had lifelong affairs. Heroes can be just as complicated as the rest of us. Number three, Eleanor redefined what it means to be a first lady, not content to be essentially a dinner party hostess and party planner. She communicated more with the general public and left a greater political legacy as a first lady than many actual presidents have done, in my opinion. Number four, Eleanor was tormented by the mother-in-law from hell for all but the last four years of her marriage, Note to all moms, cut the fucking cord. Let your kids be autonomous adults. And if you do happen to live in the same house as them, let them run their own family. You already had your crack at that. If you blew it the first time around, well, tough shit. Number five, new info. Uh, New info for today is some of my favorite Eleanor Roosevelt quotes. Here is the first. Do what you feel in your heart to be right, for you'll be criticized anyway. You'll be damned if you do and damned if you don't. How true is that, man? I know that uh, firsthand. doesn't matter what stance you take on issues. It's going to fucking piss someone off. So you, so you better take the one you truly believe in. Uh, how about this one? Uh, courage is more exhilarating than fear. In the long run, it is easier. We do not have to become heroes overnight, just a step at a time, meeting each thing that comes up, seeing it is not as dreadful as it appeared, discovering we have the strength to stare it down. Ah, I love that one. Man, yeah, courage doesn't have to be some, you know, just giant immediate act. You can just be trying to, you know, make yourself a little better, like we time suckers do, week to week. Here's a great one about religion and nationalism. The important thing is neither your nationality nor the religion you professed, but how your faith translated itself in your life. Acts, not words, man. I love that. Deeds, not talk. And this last one reminds me of my favorite quote of all time. Uh, She says, my greatest fear has always been that I would be afraid, afraid physically, or mentally, or morally, and allow myself to be influenced by fear instead of by my honest convictions. That reminds me of that great lyric from that Rage Against the Machine song, Vietnam. Just fear is your only God. That is my favorite quote ever. Just fear is your, fear is your, fear is your only God. Fear is your, fear is your, fear is your only God. Yeah, I can sing other people's music shittily. You don't always get McDonalded. Sometimes you get a little De La roca Time suck. Top five takeaways. Episode 66, second to last show of 2017. Done and done. Christmas show is the last one I need to check off the list. Hope you enjoyed this one. I did. I needed it. I needed some light and inspiration, man, in this dark winter of ours. Ah, if you don't already, uh, listen to the Time Suck uh, on the new Time Suck app, man. The contact the show button that's been on the mobile website and the website is being added to the app today. So, uh, you know, it's been submitted to the update gods and likely will be there by the time you hear this podcast. Uh, the Bit Elixir dudes, troubleshooting right now. So you can send in topic requests and updates via the app. 
continuing to make things easier, uh, working hard always on all this stuff. Always, if you don't see the, the new episodes uh, show up, oh yeah, I wanted to uh, also, this is somebody sent this in, uh, great update. Refresh, you can refresh the app feed by, by you just pull down on the episode list. You know, like you thumb it down and it you know, sends a little spinny wheel and then, and then the, new, the new episodes show up. Just It refreshes the same way most uh, podcast apps that I have used refresh. So if it's in the system, it'll pop up when you do that. Thanks again for rating the app, everyone who has done so. And the Apple and Google Play stores really appreciate that. Ratings everywhere. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, if you can rate it, please do so. It helps so much. Uh, over 2,100 ratings for the show on iTunes. That is helping to spread the suck in ways you, you probably don't even realize. Got to figure out the options for the next bonus suck soon. January 5th will be bonus suck 15. Right? Uh, more merch getting restocked this week. Uh, you know, I tr- did it as fast as I could. Pushed everybody to get in, in there as fast as possible. Hoodies and pullovers are in, and, and they're flying off the shelves, uh, especially the hoodies, man. And they look fucking good. I can't wait to get mine. I don't even got my hands on them yet. Uh, you know, so get that 400% Cult of the Curious Arctic Foxtail hoodie. I know sometimes, again, <laughs> I say, you know, I say Arctic. It's supposed to be Arctic. Uh, they're available now, uh, as is the Green Space Lizard Cult of the Curious 600 500% Hummingbird Tail Feather Pullover. And the Red Men's 251% Domestic Starved. Elderly, moleskin, hail Nimrod shirt is in. Uh, hoping that the men's and women's Cult of the Curious uh, shirts will hit the store very early this week. I think they're all printed. I'm pretty sure they are now, and I think they're just heading over to my merch store down there in uh, Orlando, Florida. And and uh, and the women's red hail Nimrod tees are, are in that process. Also, uh, her Danger Brain had the colors dialed in now, and, and I like that they want it perfect. So hail Nimrod, and all the other uh, shirts. The first four. Uh, shirts. Uh, also heading to my merch store today. That is what that is the last info, the most recent info I had. So hopefully everything in every size will be in stock and available for purchase sometime this week, hopefully earlier than later, maybe even as early as uh, Tuesday. Uh, record, recorded this one in the suck dungeon today, man, in the suck house. Uh, just didn't just didn't use all the new equipment because my audio engineer is not here and I don't know how. <laughs> so we have it set up, but I don't know how to do it yet. So hopefully next Monday's episode, the Christmas suck, will be the first time using all the brand new toys. I will say, man, it's so much easier to record here than any other place I've recorded. Uh, still don't have all the time suck episodes up on YouTube. Uh, problem is just, again, Wi-Fi upload speed, motherfucker. I have business class Wi-Fi now, and it, and it just still takes an hour or more to, to upload each one of those fuckers. But cranking away. Marching ever forward. Special thanks to Time Suckers Anna M, my sister Donna Hale, everyone else who suggested this topic, including Bo Jangle's very own research intern, Maddie Teeter, the first one. Others have, are definitely have helped uh, research the show. She's the first one going to get college credit this coming semester. And she killed it, man. She killed it. We went back and forth a lot. She's, she's just getting better and better research. I appreciate it so much. And uh, her research this week really saved my ass during such a fucking busy week. Jesus Christ. Two episodes, so much travel, driving through snowstorms, doing a ton of shows. Oh, man. You know, like this past Saturday, I did two stand-up shows and an autism benefit before that. My God, uh, by the way, I got to do an autism, autism, excuse me, times like I am n- not joking. Pretty sure I'm on the spectrum, like very, very pretty sure. <laughs> Every time I look at those things, I'm like, fuck, I got that. I got that. I get that. I make noises. I, I understand that. I focus on things. I fixate on things. I have some weird social <laughs> social issues. Uh, thanks to Sydney Shines for killing on social media. Harmony Valencamp uh, for all her kick-ass positive energy help on social media as well. Thanks to Jesse Dobner for crushing it again with editing. Ah, thanks to all of you who wrote in this past week. Every email appreciated. Uh, this Monday, Time Suck 67, a Christmas Day suck. You know, I had a hard time with deciding what to do, and I kept changing my mind. We're going to dive into Einstein. Old Albert 
Albert Einstein. I believe he will be our first Jewish sub- subject, long overdue. Um, and I want to do it because almost I know about this guy is that he's a genius, but I don't know why. Obviously, I've heard about him. I, I know what the, the picture of him that is on a bunch of posters looks like, but I don't, I don't know what EM equals M square, MC squared means. I don't remember that, but I know it's related to him. I, I, I think I'm pretty sure he was bad at math in school when he was young or something, something about being bad in school. And then he got better, you know. I want to find out, and we're going to. Sorry, sorry, you murder lovers, you know. I just can't do a murder suck on Christmas. It doesn't feel right to me. So let's get smart. Let's get inspired. Let's get Einsteined, and then, yeah, to kick off the new year, I promise we're, <laughs> we'll get plenty of darkness in. And now it is time for some Time Sucker updates. Updates. Get your Time Sucker updates. First update, a little shout-out to Time Sucker John Porter. His wife, Amber Porter, wrote in telling me what a huge fan of the show that he is. You know, thank you, John, and I appreciate it. appreciate both of you. appreciate all you Time Suckers. Hail Nimrod. You keep on sucking. You keep on trucking and sucking and fucking, if that's what you want. Uh, next update comes in from Michigan Sucker, Timothy uh, Wamoff. Wamf? Wamf? No, Wamhoff, I think. Uh, who says, Dear King Cummins Magnificent, you mentioned in Grand Rapids a possible lifetime suck in February. What is happening with that, and what would the dates be? Might catch you in Detroit for the swap cast as well. Fuck yeah. Also, Hercules. <laughs> Damn it. Not a biblical figure, even though he's obviously buried in a shaft on, o- on Oak Island. <laughs> Samson would be the biblical strongman. Keep on sucking. Okay, so regarding the Grand Rapids suck, I apparently jumped the gun. I just get, I get so excited. I get so excited when I hear like things and I, I, you know, I shouldn't have said that I was going to do it. I was going to pair it with the Detroit show. I thought that's what we were going to happen. Uh, and I should have spoken with my agent first. I, I don't always understand the business as well as I think I do. Uh, it is going to happen uh, a live time suck in Grand Rapids. I will make sure of that. And it is going to happen this next year. I just don't have the date yet. And there's always more to work out with that stuff than I, than I realize. So I apologize for, for saying when I thought that would be, I should keep things quiet. I'm the worst secret keeper. I'm the worst. I'm the worst surprise keeper. I just get, I get so excited. I get like a little kid and I just want to tell everybody. And then I have, then I'm realized that I've jumped a gun. <sighs> uh, trying to figure out dates uh, for that. Yeah. Trying to figure out dates. Also trying to figure out dates for Madison, Wisconsin for a live uh, time suck there. I really want to do one there now. And uh, I, I do have uh, a one in Spokane coming up. I'll announce that date. It'll, it'll, it'll be months out, like six months out, but, but uh, getting it together, thinking in my brain, in, in my brain muscle, about how I'm going to present the information going forward and, you know, build basically a new show and uh, try and make it very entertaining. And, yeah, and regarding Hercules, God damn it, I fucked up. Yes, I fucked up. Yes, of course, Samson is the biblical strongman. And I knew that, right? He's tight. What is he? chained to the pillars and he fucking pushes them down and all that stuff. I, I know I've read that story several times. I, I, got my old, I got my old time strongman confused, so I'm sorry. Uh, I will stomp the skulls of several Cocker Spaniels, uh, Cocker Spaniel puppies to please Nimrod for my transgression, you know. Appease him. Uh, another message uh, from the Oak Island Suck from James Pitt. He says, uh, thank you for your input on reality shows during the Oak Island Time Suck. As law enforcement officers, we often talk about the reality shows about guns and how embarrassing it is to watch, like, the family from American Guns. For one, the daughter is dressed like Daisy Duke, overdosed on, <laughs> overdosed on silicone, and borderline flirts with her brother. You know what? And I know ugh, I worked on other shows where it's like they purposely uh, will always cast, like, a hot girl. Like so intentional, or if there's someone basically related, they're like, like she, like in real life. I don't, I don't know this show, but I've worked on other shows where they're like, you know, uh, I worked on this show called Porter Ridge, uh, and this guy's, you know, working at a junkyard, and, and we had this character, this girl who was just super hot, and in real life, she didn't have she didn't really shit to do with the place. But we, they made her like a prominent figure and acted like you know she was there around all the time, as an excuse for eye candy. That stuff for sure happens. So you're right, you're right. Uh, okay, back to your email. 
Then we notice in one episode where they do a, a slow motion shot of a bullet from a 30 caliber rifle hitting a bottle of champagne. Uh, while the bottle shattered, we noticed that the bullet bounced off of the bottle, not even breaking the paper label attached. Instant fury at the lie. Then on the other show, Sons of Guns, the father-daughter, and I don't watch that one either, uh, the father-daughter owners weren't even allowed to sell guns in their shop because an ATF raid <laughs> discovered multiple weapons missing. Uh, the employees on that show were the actual owners, but Discovery had a contract and they all had to play a part. Oh, yeah, and the dad was a fucking incestuous child molester. What? Okay, so I'm, I, don't, I, haven't looked, I haven't researched that. So I'm saying that, uh, but if, if, if you, you'll have to look into that yourselves. That is, this is from James. I don't know, know about that, but that's crazy if that's true. Had to vent you because it sounds like you get it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately I do on the, on the reality stuff. stuff. Uh, Hail Nimrod and all praise to you, cleric of Jangalism. May you show us the path to our, <laughs> to our own third leg. Uh, thank you, James. Much respect for you and your fellow officers. Man, without uh, police officers, without the, the men and women of the law, we devolve into anarchy. Whenever people just talk shit about the police in general, it fucking makes me mad. I think, yeah, of course, yeah, some officers are dicks. Some have done bad things. So has people from every fucking profession, right? Stop generalizing. You know, most are good people keeping your ass safe. You hate cops? You wish they weren't around? Think about that. Next time someone breaks into your goddamn home, tries carjacking your wife's SUV, don't call the police, man. You don't want them around? You just deal with that shit yourself. Finally, one last one from sucker Julie Bennett regarding Pizzagate. Dear Lord Reverend Suckington, first off, thank you for your amazing podcast. Thank you for saying that. Uh, my boyfriend and I finally found a podcast that we both love, and we are dedicated members of the Cult of the Curious. We can't wait to be space lizards. Second to start off, I want to say I completely agree with you about Pizzagate. This is not a message to tell you how wrong you are. It's a classic idiot to the internet conspiracy. However, a child sex ring associated with the government is not, unfortunately, uh, basically like, you know, just a theoretical. I, I I would suggest that you look into the Franklin Credit Union scandal if you have not already. It is very sad and very hard to read about. But there are many victims who have come out about it and has been swept under the rug very well uh, due to the fact that those victims have been made to look insane. Just something I figured you would appreciate looking into. Keep up the amazing work. Keep defending your loyal subjects from Lucifina and keep on sucking, Julie. Well, Julie, first off, thank you for writing in. Now, however, hopefully this isn't going to piss you piss you off. Um, and again, I, I wasn't there. I can't know for certain, but, but I, I, I'm going to have to disagree about the Franklin credit union scandal. I did look into it. I have looked into it in the past. I have heard about it before, and I would just urge you to listen or re-listen, re-listen to the Mandela effect episode, the time suck 31, where I really try to break down false memory syndrome. And I talk in depth about the 80s satanic pedophile scares, uh, that swept the nation and put a lot of innocent people in jail. A uh, federal grand jury uh, did conclude that the Franklin abuse allegations were unfounded, and they indicted 21-year-old uh, Alicia Owen, an alleged victim, on eight counts of perjury. Same grand jury also indicted multiple officers of the credit union, including King, uh, for uh, somebody named – sorry, I didn't get that. Uh, several, they, 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 uh, they indicted multiple people uh, for crimes related to the embezzlement of funds from the credit union. Uh, Alicia Owen served four and a half years in prison, and, and it's not easy. You don't hear about that often, to go to, going to prison for years – you know, because of false accusations. Now, now these accusations, uh, yeah, again, I have looked into them. They included shit, and this is why I personally think it is made up, is because they included stuff like satanic orgies, ritual sacrifice, cannibalism of, of children. Now, now, look up the McMartin preschool trial from the 80s. Same shit. Outlandish, over-the-top accusations uh, made by, by, frankly, paranoid religious fanatics who still worrying about devil worshipers, you know, getting their kids. People still mentally and emotionally living in the dark ages. And a lot of innocent people's lives were utterly destroyed. People went to prison 
for being convicted of basically being satanic, you know, pedophiles. And it turns out the whole thing was just bullshit. It was leading questions thrown in by investigators. It was people who worked this stuff up in their heads. And, you know, by the time they realized it was all nonsense, too late for a lot of people. A lot of these people had been, you know, in prison for years as satanic pedophiles, which is like the worst thing you could be in prison for. Their businesses were gone. Yeah, just destroyed. Just destroyed. There is real shit going on with politicians. I mean, look at all of today's sex scandals, man, on both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican. Look at all the people going down. I just don't think it's out loud. It's like cartoonish scandals involving the devil and cannibalism. You know, it's, it's dudes abusing positions of power like so many pedophile priests, you know, did with the Catholic stuff years ago. You know, or like so many female teachers apparently have done lately, according to all the articles I've read. You know, that's what that's the kind of shit we need to look out for, the stuff that's right there in front of us. You know, I think sometimes we worry about these like closet satanic pedophile type of evil rings, you know, and then it turns out to be your neighbor. That's the one who's been doing it, the one that seems friendly and dresses well and seems, you know, socially well adjusted. So, again, sorry to be a buzzkill. And, again, you know, I, I, I wasn't there, Julie. I, I just, you know, I dig. I report on what I find. That is my take. If you do have more info that is not readily available on the web that really convinces you otherwise, please send it to me. I really would truly love to see it. That would be a great update. That would definitely possibly inspire me to do an entire episode about that scandal. And I will happily, you know, eat my words. I guess maybe not happily because that would be sad if it's really happened. But I will eat my words, you know, as I do on this show uh, from time to time, you know, probably fairly often. And, uh, yeah. And thank you. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. So that's all for today. Almost all for the year. Uh, hope you've had an amazing holiday season so far. Uh, happy Hanukkah. You know, Merry Christmas. Happy whatever else, you know, may be celebrated. Go out there and uh, do something good for the world. Even if it's little. Courage doesn't have to be huge. And, uh, and I'll talk to you fucking suckers on Christmas. Keep on sucking. <laughs>